you guys have tuned in to another episode of uh, Spit Sessions, and this is uh, going to be a little bit different. This is going to be a milestone for us because we have our first remote guest with us. Uh, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? My name's Shane Morris, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And at the current moment, I'm running for the United States Senate uh, against former governor and former mayor of Nashville, Phil Bredesen, in the Democratic primary. That's pretty amazing. You know, honestly, I knew eventually we would have remote guests, but I did not know that we would have someone running for a Senate seat as as a guest. So this kind of kind of threw us off a little bit, uh, but I'm I'm excited. This is like really, really cool. How you feel about that? Oh, I mean, I'm excited at this point for any publicity. You know, I think when you're running for office, you have to take every single opportunity, you know, to talk to anybody. I mean, if a puppy clinic asked me to show up and talk to dogs tomorrow, I'd probably do it. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's- I think that's a great attitude to have. Uh, so this morning we watched your campaign ad and we loved it. We were laughing out loud <laughs> when you said that uh, you have a hard time even getting money from your dad. That was that was pretty monumental. That was that was pretty awesome, actually. I, I felt that on a, on a spiritual level. So uh, I find myself able to relate to you more than I would most individuals that run for certain seats in, in politics. Yeah, there's a lot of honesty to you know what I said there. I mean, I can tell you right now, if I called my dad and asked for a campaign donation, he'd probably try and he'd tell me to sell a kidney. That's just who he is. <laughs> That's what's up, man. Um. Let me see. So what we usually do is uh, when we record episodes, we go through um, an array of topics, so on and so forth. uh, And you can just give your honest opinion on certain things. Like what we do is we usually just have it's a regular conversation. Uh, The only difference is there's mics like in front of us, you know, Um, so feel like you can jump in at any time you want to. But also, uh, if you want to open up a little bit and explain why you're doing what you do and uh, what drives you and whatnot, like you can jump in with that at any time. And then towards the end, if you have anything that you want to plug, whether it be certain events, maybe something for the campaign, uh, whatever else, then you can do that as well. Like, you know, it's pretty much you're the guest of honor. And oh, cool. Just yeah. Here to, uh, as long as it's yeah, open ended, so. we're having fun. I'm having fun. That's what's up. I, I, I like that. But uh, I'm pretty sure you've heard uh a few of our episodes right yeah your subject matter is probably not what a politician would usually want to walk into but um (laughs) i uh i'm gonna take a risk here because i feel like it's a good thing to show people that i will discuss almost anything okay i respect that that's really awesome the um the funniest part was um as soon as you know we saw the post saying that you were willing to be on podcast and as soon as um Reggie contacted me. It was like, hey, you know, this guy's running for a seat. Uh, he he really wants to be on the podcast. I was like, you know, honestly, I was like, I think talking to us might hurt his chance potentially if someone listens to the previous episodes that we've been on. But it really goes uh, to show that you're you're in every is what's the term people use in every man. Yeah. Is that a real word? Every man? Yes. People say that still? Yeah, I I think people say every man. I just, I don't want to offend anybody who identifies as an every man. I know there are probably some trans every mans out there. Um, So (laughs) I want to make sure that we're being respectful to the every mans and anybody who's in the the process of a transition. Exactly. That's cool. Um, So you, uh, I would assume you're a music fan, right? Do you have a... 
do you have any people that you listen to in particular? Or do you have anybody that you're like a huge fan of at the moment? I, I mean, I'm a music fan. I mean, I've I've worked in entertainment for 13 years now. So when it comes to what I'm a fan of, you know, I think people are usually surprised. Like, you know, people say I listen to everything. I don't really listen to everything. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of old school Barry hip hop and rap music. I mean, I'm probably the biggest Andre Nicotina fan you'll meet. Um, you know, and then I also get into weird alt country. Like I love Jason Isbell. I like that folky nonsense. Like, you know, so I've got a lot of range when it comes to music, but then I also really get into like that weirdo, bizarre witch house stuff from like Spokane that, you know, spooky dudes up there with no social lives make. So yeah, I get into a little Mm -hmm. bit of everything. You know, honestly, when you said Jason, I got excited for a little bit because I thought you were going to say Jason Mraz. (laughs) <laughs> that's a guilty pleasure of mine i listen to jason mraz like on occasion when nobody is around to like hear or judge me no, that's a good and that's a good time to listen to jason mraz when no one else is around <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I can't help it he does that scatting thing like when he's like you know when he's like playing the guitar he just stops singing actual lyrics and just starts scatting like on the track like it, it, it speaks to me like and i just i just it's, it's really enjoyable but you know that was my first time admitting that in public but um, the reason I brought up music and what's going on is because having a background in music, you can probably see how real life issues sometimes overlap with whatever music that it is that you're listening to. Um, and recently we haven't had a chance to really expound upon it, even though we briefly touched it in the last episode, Kanye West has been under, um, uh, not a lot of heat, I would say, because let's be honest, like he's not really going to be that disturbed by the opinions of um, the public or whatever else, because he's Kanye West. But, you know, his his approach to certain things have really been bothering a lot of people, you know, and it's kind of relevant right now because there was a falling out online. And it's kind of coincidental because we have someone, a Democratic person running for, you know, a seat. And the fact that Chance the Rapper responded with, just because you're black doesn't mean you have to be Republican. Like, you know, that tossed into politics because he was trying to defend the things that were going on. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just taking notes here. So you were saying that slavery wasn't a choice. I'm just going to write this down really fast to make sure I've got this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on right now. I'm not sure, you know, and, and I haven't watched the entire interview with Charlemagne that he did but I have seen the TMZ interview where the other only black guy like in the room kind of was like dude stop stop what you're doing hold on cut it out have you seen that Reggie yes okay so in that moment I was like at least someone's like willing to like pop up and tell him cut this out but I don't know you know certain people have made jokes about him potentially being in the sunken place but I'm like I don't know what's going on with this individual you know well, um, I, I mean, so I guess what's it, go ahead with, I guess, you know, your overall feelings on the whole situation. So Kanye posits that he is a free thinker. Um, and, and I think it just goes to show you that free thought and critical thought do not open often overlap. And for, from, from my perspective, what I'm seeing out of him, I think people view him differently because he's a, le- a celebrity, because he's had so much of a profound impact on a lot of people's musical tastes, careers, whatever. But at the end of the day, he's still a person. I think he's highly susceptible to the same types of bizarro propaganda non-news that a lot of people are. I, when you see what Kanye is saying, 
uh, you know, and he talks about Candace Owens and the alt-right, make America great again. He's getting fed talking points that a lot of people have fallen into the logic trap of. Uh, you know, as, as strange it is to say, you know, slavery was a choice is not the first time, you know, that that's been uttered. You know, it's just only usually being said by crazy neo-Nazis. And for some reason, Kanye West isn't able to discern the difference between neo-Nazis and reality and, and that to me is bizarre but you know it's ahistorical like anybody who's studied history knows that not only was slavery not a choice but then you have immediately after slavery you have sharecropping which is basically indentured servitude you had mm -hmm. a series of laws that were designed i mean the story of america and i say this as a white person and i don't want to get too overarching and too political here but obviously i'm running for office but the story of america yeah. yeah the story of america is hopelessly intertwined with the story of white people trying to disenfranchise black people. And that's not just through slavery, it's through voting rights, it's through lynchings, it's through a lot of horrible parts of our history. And to wash that all away and to just say, well, we're equal now, is nonsense. And two, it, it ignores 400 years of history. And if you're capable of ignoring 400 years of history, I don't, you can say whatever the fuck you want to say, but... I don't have to listen to it and give it any credibility whatsoever. And in Kanye's you know, situation, he's a celebrity. He can say what he wants to say. But I think he is going to lose a lot of fans this way because, you know, m maybe in the past I might have bought a vinyl just, you know, because that ain't happening anymore. I'm not going to a concert and giving him my money because I don't want to give him a platform for hatred, bigotry. Like, those are choices that consumers get to make. That's capitalism, motherfucker. I mean, I buy, like, I'm a shoe guy. I'm not buying Yeezys anymore, man. I, you know, I don't feel yeah. any better giving Jordan brand money because they got eight-year-olds in Malaysia sewing their hands together. But look, man, I gotta, I gotta, you know, locate my assets accordingly. Exactly. You know, I respect that, you know, honestly. I've never... Well, I just want to say, first and foremost, that I've never owned any Yeezys because, I don't know, those shoes getting kind of ugly looking. They're ugly bit. as hell. And they're expensive. And if they were no sold reason. at Walmart, nobody would want them. No, it's pretty bad. They're getting pretty bad. But I like the fact that you brought up American history and how it's tied into these things because I did, I did my research because I wanted to see what you were about like a little bit before we actually uh, spoke to you. And you brought up how, you know, the uh, slavery in American history and how there was a disenfranchisement going on. And as a dude from Tennessee, that means a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um, I saw the article that you put on Medium, right, about um, was it the Confederate flag or was it a response response to people that were being racist due to your opinion on the Confederate flag and the history <laughs> of like. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was just, yeah. you know, people's responses to what I said. I mean, I made a joke about NASCAR and its relationship with the Confederate flag. But, um, <laughs> you, you know, like there, there are some hard realities about um, a NASCAR fan. Not to say that all NASCAR fans are racist bigots, but they attract a certain type of customer. Uh, and it's kind of like I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah. but eh. I'm going to just say it. I hope I don't offend anybody, but wrestling kind of does too. This is my opinion, but I've gone to like Monday Night Raw and the crowd, <laughs> there, dude, seriously, no, seriously. Like I was in there and I was looking around and I was like, this feels kind of, um, you know, it's swinging to one side more so than the other, but I'm sorry, carry on. It's it's the same thing with like Oakland Raiders fans. And, and I, you know, don't mean to disparage an entire fan base of a football team, but when I was 11 years old, a grown man urina urinated on me at a Raiders game. And 
Do I think that would happen in any other football game? No, it's the kind of thing that can only happen in Oakland because they attract a certain type of fan, <laughs> like a grown man that might urinate on a child and then be proud of it and high-five his friends. <laughs> like, that's who their fans are. It's the same thing with NASCAR. They take pride in being ignorant and stupid, just like Raiders fans take pride in urinating on children. It's the same <laughs> mentality. I don't know if you brought that up on purpose, but that is perfect because the next thing I wanted to speak on was r kelly and how it seems like almost 20 years after after the fact he's probably getting his due comeuppance from urinating on a child uh you know it's been about 17 years or so but we can get into that after we expound upon this topic a little bit but i just wanted to make that tangent like immediately and i'm sorry that you got pissed on man yeah no it, it happens at raiders games well, you know were you wearing the opposing team's jersey? Like, why would they even... Yeah, yeah. I was wearing an Emmett Smith jersey and a cowboy hat, which was unwise. Wow. I mean, that's still... You that's shouldn't extreme, even do that to an adult, though. let alone a child. Yeah, no. That's kind of wild, dude. Shit. Yeah, I, it was it was just a weird experience to get. Like, to go to the bathroom. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever, ever been to the Oakland Coliseum. They don't have, like, urinals. They have, like, these troughs. So then even going to the bathroom, there was a guy who walked up behind me and he was like, better hurry up pissing or I'm going to push you in there, faggot. And I was like, okay, okay, wow. fine. You know, but that's, but that's how, okay. And I was 11, you know, like Dude, I was fucked up. like 11, you know, and I wasn't like the big 11 year olds, you know, you know, like there's the kids in middle school that like have grown a little bit and put some bulk on them. No, I, w I, I was yeah. 11 year old and I looked like a tiny child. <laughs> so like these are grown men making some strange decisions, but you know, that's why they're Raiders fans. They make bad decisions. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, you slid that in there. But I would it? say about the Kanye thing, you know, it, it to me it, it, and it, it brings to light kind of a shocking way in in which we still treat celebrity. Like I would think that now in the digital age where you have this faux closeness with with uh, celebrities, you know, due to Facebook and Twitter, you might not put them on such a pedestal not in the same way as you know like the Beatles or Michael Jackson where it's like you may never even see them you know on TV as much you know like you don't have the constant feed of what they're doing their personal life and then the sense of you may interact with them or you may be interacting with them and it's weird that you know like I understand being upset by the comments but it seems like people are just getting into it a little too much I think it's he's clearly got stuff going on like I mean he's he's admitted to it like he's having mental illness issues and uh you know i i would be of the mindset to say like hey man like go figure your shit out don't be out here trying to um you know teach people a lesson slash promote your albums coming out in a couple months like so sort yourself out sort out your home life and then worry about all that later and uh it, it's it's just so odd to me that like I see a, a large swath of people playing into it or even trying to rationalize what he's saying. He's coming off clearly as somebody who's mentally ill, but just also it's like somebody who gets high at a party and just starts like, man, think about it though. And it's like, well, I have thought about it and read about it. And what you're saying is nonsense. Like, let's move on. 
Yeah, he's he's the 9-11 truther in a party right now, and it is sad, but I, I think it, it expresses itself really well musically when you, I don't know if you listen to that shoopty, whatever, the shoopty poopy song. Dude, you yeah. know, honestly, I might, I'm going to see if I can find a way to make that the intro and outro to this, this podcast episode, maybe, because that shit threw me off. I was not prepared. The beat was okay, but when he was like, scoop to teach scoop, whoop-de-whoop, shoopty, I was like, this is... It, that was the period on the end of the sentence to me because it was like, okay, I can confirm that he's doing this because he's going to be promoting an album or selling some clothes and all of this is a, is a publicity stunt. Maybe he feels some of this these things genuinely, but the overall purpose for doing this shit is to get his name buzzing again so that he could sell something, which but, I don't feel like he has to do in the first place because it's Kanye West. Well, like, I, I want to say this too, and this is like one of those like how the sausage gets made things in the music business, but when you're considering Kanye's music, and I think a lot of people look at Kanye like this standalone musical genius, really he's, a, a, I think he's more of a concept kind of person when you look at his role in the, the production of music because he's been surrounded by brilliant producers and brilliant engineers for years one of my favorite producers in the entire world is a guy named emil haney um you know he was the guy who did runaway for kanye west uh he produced a lot of lana del rey albums when you look at who he surrounds himself with i think the reason that his music has been so good is because he's had guys like anthony killoff or he's had guys like emil haney uh, uh jeff basker those are great prolific songwriters and producers who have a, a depth of musical knowledge that he doesn't have and so when he releases this single the shoop did he poop it's like this is probably <laughs> conceptually where he's starting i don't i i honestly don't think that his process is that far away from what we heard just raw and then somebody comes in and they say you know what we're gonna do though we're gonna cut this shoop de poop part and we're gonna write a real chorus all right kanye thank you so much for your you know work here and we'll just take over from here and i think that's probably what usually happens but then in this case we got to see what he did and it's like yeah. when i used to make awful art and my mom would be like we're gonna put this up on the fridge like oh yeah you know that's how i felt about his song yeah no legit and, and i think it has to do with the company you keep you know like i think i'm not somebody who's big into ego but i understand it especially when it's warranted you know he has had a very successful career but he strikes me as someone who would have a lot of yes men and or women around so mm. he can record a shoop de poop just like you're saying and it, he's going to get the hanging on the fridge treatment um i want to go back to something you said which i i thought was interesting and something i've noticed you talked about how you know he's still susceptible to these talking points and uh w- what i what i picked up on about that is when it comes to social media, I feel like the fact that it's a talking point is a little more hidden for someone who's not entirely politically savvy, and it makes you, it you're so susceptible to it. You're like, oh, this is just a little tweet. It makes sense, and I'm going to run with it, or I'm going to go down this rabbit hole, and maybe you want to, I don't know how much you want to digress, but I thought it'd be interesting to tackle that. Well, I think what happens in, in social media, right, is that people are forced into small talking points so you know twitter is automatically going to hyper focus what you say but then it also you don't get it the you know and i call myself a context addict i want to know what the context of the situation is and when i look at like say the history of slavery the story of black america or how we talk about you know um black people in the united states i can't have a conversation with a lot of people on social media because they're not going to 
I know what the Moral Land Grant Act of 1862 was and how it impacted black Americans. And just, you know, scope-wise, in 1862, you know, during the Civil War, white men were given all the land in America, basically. And it allowed you to get a plot of land, and as long as you could farm it and maintain it, you could get free land from the U.S. government. It's socialism. When the government gives you something for free and you are allowed to benefit from it, that is textbook mm -hmm. socialism. So black people could not own land. So the United States, you know, basically once the Civil War is over in, in 1867, becomes the wholesale giveaway of land to white people. And that is the de facto distribution of wealth to white people. And because interracial marriage was illegal, you couldn't easily transfer land wealth to any black person. So in, from the 1860s well into the early 1900s, you had massive pieces of land being given away to one particular colored group of people, which was white people. And so when people say, you know, why is it black people didn't have any money? Why weren't they able to lift themselves up? I'm like, oh, because the United States government systematically gave away all of its wealth, because we can agree that land is worth something. The United States mm -hmm. government systematically gave away all wealth to white men. And so, you know, let's say two or three generations later, you know, grandpa has a kid and they have kids and they're still an all white family and they still got all this land. So people don't even understand that like wealth being distributed 100 years ago in a certain way is going to have a profound impact on these communities today, right now. And so you can't have these conversations without having conversations about laws from the 1860s. And I know that sounds insane to say, but when you think about how long a person lives, you know, 60, 70 years, 80 years sometimes, mm -hmm. you're, you're talking yeah. about three generations of people. All right, well, that's not really a lot, you know. Like that's in, in the scope of history, that, that changes almost nothing. And so when I have these conversations on Twitter, I'm like, yeah, so you're saying that black people need to do X, Y, and Z. Fine, but yeah. don't you understand that putting the accountability on the black community for something that happened 110 years ago is insane? Like you, you say these things and I can't even take them seriously. No, yeah, this is this is classic bootstrap uh, conversation like just happening right now, you know, and I, I mean, it might, of course, I would assume it's a little bit different for you because people might feel a little bit more comfortable saying these things to you or around you. But I can't I can count on my hand how many times I've had someone subtly mention like, you know, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And just... I mean, I kind of get why people are dumb like that, because we're so willfully ignorant in this country and talking about the negatives of the past of the country is such a, a taboo for whatever reason you know uh, I, I don't understand why it's it's unpatriotic to say like hey like acknowledge the things that we've done and and who's benefited from it yes. and you know the older i get um you know the more and more i i understand how important for instance land ownership is and you know how much of your income goes into staying somewhere and something as simple as having property in your family something that can be passed down i mean that's big as far as um your your status and and what you can achieve and 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 your path like making your path easier fact yeah i i talk to this and i don't mean to overgeneralize, but i have many white friends who have parents who have either gifted them a massive down payment on a house or gave them land to start a house on or whatever it is that that doesn't really translate a lot to my black friends in the black community. They don't have, for the most part, and there's a couple people out there, but they don't have the, the type of generational accumulated wealth that is common in, in white families. And it's common because 
it was literally historically dictated that way. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just things don't happen that way. And I think that when you look at those little experiences, they you'd say, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, no, it's a pretty big deal when your parents can give you a $50,000 down payment for a house. That's a huge deal. So, yeah, you know, that could help you a lot in life. It could help you that, you know, your parents are able to afford your college for you, whatever it is. Those types yeah. of financial allowances that are prevalent and common within the white community that are far less common in the black community, those allow you to really achieve things in life. And, and I can't, you know, look at myself. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a white guy, but, you know, I, can't, course, yeah. I can't look we at, see. you know, my experiences. You know, both of my parents have PhDs. So, I mean, I'm technically part of the same kind of problem, you know, like, so at least, but I'm willing to acknowledge yeah. it. I'll say, hey, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. technically grew up with a little bit more leeway when it comes to success than probably somebody in the same exact position who is from my a minority background. And that's just reality. I, I can't shake it. I'm not mad at myself for it. I mean, if I had to choose it again, rolling the dice in life, boo, I choose white. It's great. But, you know, yeah. like aside from that, you know, you have to say, well, what do I really want? Well, I just want these other communities to live the experience that I've had. Like, I'm not asking for, you know, white people to have less. I'm just saying, you know what I like? I'd like that black people and Hispanic people and Asian people to have the same exact existence that I wake up with. It's not a big ask. It's just what I'm already living. Mm-hmm. You know, and honestly, that raises something else that I've seen recently is that in in uh, in moments where someone that has been disenfranchised finds themselves with some sort of uh, monetary wealth or whatever else, oftentimes they take up the burden of financial responsibility for family members that aren't there with them. So it's it's not like necessarily a crabs uh, in a barrel type situation because I'm pretty sure it's not malicious or anything like that, but it. It can be uh, a burden on an individual in those situations, you know, so because it's not evenly spread out. And what you just said did just remind me of that. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I can Um, I can say this, you know, like and I'm not going to name anybody. but One of my clients is a, a fairly big, you know, NFL agent. And, you know, when, when I'm down in Atlanta, you know, we'll have dinner or whatever and talk about it. But it amazes me some of the, the horror stories he tells me about, you know, new guys getting signed in the NFL. They get that first contract and then all of a sudden they're putting a new roof on their church. Their mom's got a house and a Mercedes. And then, you know, I know it sounds crazy to say it, but, you know, if you're a third or fourth round pick, you know, you're on a three or four million dollar contract. It's amazing how quickly you can spend three or four million dollars. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For well, sure. and it's. It's new new money, like you know, money begets money. But if you don't have money, why, how would you know anything about money? Like, if I got a, a million dollars tomorrow, like, I, I mean, I would definitely need a financial advisor. I would have no clue. Yeah, if I had a million dollars tomorrow, I'd be getting rims on like six cars right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be ignorant um, as hell. But that uh, I wanted to to use this opportunity to transition into uh, Jeff Bezos because he was in the news recently saying that he has so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, and he guesses he's just going to get into space travel because uh, he has uh, $129 billion. And it's just too much money. Uh, Is this one of the guys that... Um, he's the Amazon guy. The Amazon dude, yeah. So he, you could... You know, I, I don't I don't really have money like that. So I guess it's kind of rude for me to like dig in somebody else's pockets and tell them what to do with their funds. But, you know, if you're here on Earth, there are other things you could potentially do instead of like, you know what? I got too much money. I'm going to just go into outer space. Like you could potentially, <laughs> you could like, that's just, that's just trying to sprint before walking. You know, there's some things that you could do here before going out and into the stars and whatnot, you know, but um, 
that's just me as a broke individual speaking on that. So I guess I don't have the credentials to tell him what to do with his shit, but I don't know. I just feel like there's other things you could probably do, you know? I could get into policy on this. I think this is a, a strong policy talking point. Um, how yeah, that's, how that's people are taxed. To go with it. Um, you know, I, I, I fancy myself as strange as to say, when it comes to taxation, I lean more Republican, but in the Eisenhower Republican sense, most people are not aware that when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president in the 1950s, the wealthiest Americans were in a tax bracket where they, they were taxed at about 90% of their income going to the government. I think the peak rate was 91%. So when you got, you know, obviously tax brackets are structured. So it was like everything above, you know, half a million dollars was taxed at 90%. This obviously changed in the area of, era of Reagan, but it's smart because a person, when you consider a person, a family, whatever it is, you're limited by how many consumables you can actually purchase and participate in the economy. Like I can only have so many cars because I can only drive. I can drive one car at a time. I'm not going to eat more loaves of bread than the uh, any anybody else. So when you look at raw consumables, a person, when you start accumulating that kind of wealth, that's when you get into space travel because you really can't consume enough. You can't participate. You can't use all that money to participate in the economy. At some point, you're just buying investments, and that's the type of wealth inequality that we talk about in the United States. It was created because we got away from a system that looked at how much money some of these hyper billionaires have and said, wait a second, you guys, you're, you're not going to live fundamentally differently, whether you have $2 billion or $70 billion. But what happens is, is they're able to take that extra $68 billion and offshore it and put it into companies that, you know, may or may not make money that do or don't actually, you know, like people always talk about jobs trickling down. There's no vested interest in any of these people creating more jobs with their money. There's an interest in once you have that money, like any financial advisors, you know, and the, the bigger financial advisors, they all tell you to figure out ways to, to shell it away. You know, they're, they're not trying to tell you how to spend it. So I'm I'm of the opinion that, you know, when you look at the Bezoses of the world and you look at Mark Zuckerberg and, you know, a lot of these people have this huge, huge wealth. You know, they can have their, you know, philanthropy and they can give away their money the way they want to. But the way that I would like to see things happen is I don't want them to have all that money to begin with. Like, there's nothing wrong. If you want to have $2 billion, like $2 billion, you can go buy the Dallas Cowboys tomorrow. That's a good amount of money. Yeah. But it's seventy yeah. billion. You could buy the NFL and Apple or whatever. You know, like you just don't need it. And it, that money truly would be better served among the people because, as much as Jeff Bezos and, and you know Mark Zuckerberg want to you know exclaim you know they're these genius visionaries, they made their money because of all the employees and everyone who helped create those companies who probably make fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year right now at Amazon or the uh, people who are picking boxes off the shelves making. 10 bucks an hour, 12 hour, 14 hour days. To me, I think those workers deserve more. And it's kind of a travesty that we have people like Jeff Bezos who are able to accumulate that wealth and then the other workers are treated so poorly. So it's it, you can't have this discussion without talking about why is our tax structure the way it is? Why is it it peaks out at a certain rate? Shouldn't we create another level that says, hey, you know, if you're making $50 million a year or more, we're going to start taking everything above $50 million. You can live off $50 million a year. Because, like, who has $50 million a year? LeBron James? Okay, fine. Yeah, $50 million here is the cap. You'll live comfortably. Everybody else can, you know, F off. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, uh, you know, Bezos isn't the, the main one. I think Elon Musk has been fucking around with satellites and spaceships for a little bit, too. I think you just... Uh, I'm trying to figure out... Uh, well, what... I, don't, I don't have a problem with being interested in space travel. I think 
you know, the issue I have with, with Bezos is he's literally saying, like, I don't know what to do with my money. I have so much. Meanwhile, he has, you know, employees, you know, he could give everybody a $2 raise and that would do, you know, that would be nothing to him. He could give half of his money away. And that it's like, I don't want to come off as some crazy socialist, like whatever, because people start tuning out. I feel like I'm very realistic about these things. Um, you know, I just don't appreciate the intellectual dishonesty you know like i have friends who are libertarians or you know like republicans and you know i have a friend who has a taxation of theft t-shirt and it's like we we see what happens you know this is an example of what happens when you rely on people with a lot of money to do things of their own accord to build a road build a school you know it's care true. about infrastructure it's true. okay like it's going to happen to a certain extent because of tax write-offs and because of optics because they they want to make people go away who are questioning their accumulation of wealth but realistically it does take a, a certain amount of taxation and it you know if this is unsustainable you know if we have this is going to go on to to his kids and his family and then we have people did do we change federally what we do with the uh, estate tax did trump pass something with that yeah the estate tax oh. has been altered as part of trump's new plan it's uh, it's good and, and you right. know, I, I i credit them for this if you were an extremely wealthy person the thing i want to happen is i want your children to be extremely wealthy because you were and i i can't help but agree with trump with that i i think uh, rich children have rights no i'm just kidding that's it's absolutely fucking ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> so i you know that's the thing too so we're 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 changing that law and you know two generations from now i mean the 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 wealth disparity like the the income inequality is just the the gap is just going to widen and widen and widen if we allow these people to sit on this money we're fed this this lie about like let's not steal from these people and like they're gonna create jobs and you know there's no that's false there's some trickle down shit do essentially is what you, you have think. a guy worth over a hundred billion dollars and he's he's not even giving anybody a raise he's gonna Put that somewhere and just sit on it and let it accumulate, uh, you know, interest. Yeah. And and we see no benefit from it. Or probably move it offshore so it doesn't get taxed in the first place on some uh, Pritzker shit. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and I'll uh, even touch on trickle down now because you mentioned it and I'll wrap back around to what we mentioned earlier. But um, I, I'll speak from experience. The only thing that trickles down is pee, and I know because I've had a Raiders fan <laughs> urinate on me. <laughs> uh, you know God, what? I'm, yes. You know what? You know what? I'm a, I'm a this is like a sign. I'm going to transition to the R. Kelly thing. So, <laughs> so we're we're familiar. Like, let's be honest. I think everyone on Earth that has been alive since like the year 2000 or so might be familiar with what it is that happened. Um, uh, one thing that I've noticed is that with social media, we it, it has given us a chance to like what we were talking about earlier when it comes to celebrities and stuff. They seem a little bit more transparent. But also it, it the houses around, like are starting to crumble because there's like this glass house thing. We do want the people that we listen to music or we watch acting or whatever else with these sports people to be perfect in the way that they represent um, either the culture or certain topics or whatever else. You know, so when someone isn't perfect in our eyes, there's something people do, which is called canceling. Oh, this individual is canceled. This individual is canceled for this, that and the other. Um, it's up to the person themselves to quote unquote cancel whoever it is, you know, according to what standards they believe in. Like recently, Childish Gambino dropped the This is America video 
and there were certain people that were into it. There were certain people that liked to dissect it and whatnot. But other individuals found out that he may potentially be married to uh, a white lady or someone that is not a black lady. And there are certain people who feel like, you know, it's not possible to be pro-black unless you're fully, fully pro-black in all aspects of whatever else there is. So, OK, cool. You know, that's debatable. It, whether you want to, you know, cancel well, or stop listening to okay. this person. Yeah, no, no, I feel you. <laughs> I, agree, I agree with Reggie. But there are people who are just now, 17 years after the fact, quote unquote, canceling R. Kelly. And I honestly, we're two Chicago natives. I honestly didn't think I would see the day where this would come to fruition. Because coming up here and like being from here and listening to music here, you, you did you, were you... Reggie, did you kind of feel like R. Kelly was invincible? Like, no matter what you did, like, it just, there Hell was just yeah. no... Dude. Well, you know, I, I've said before that I I feel like we should be able to separate an, an actor, a musician, or whatever from their personal life to an extent. But when you're somebody like <clears throat> R. Kelly, who is clearly probably kidnapping women and having them in sex cults, peeing on minors, like, it's repeat behavior. The same as Chris Brown is obviously has domestic violence issues and yes. has multiple victims. You know, same, you know, Bill Cosby, et cetera, et cetera. Ben Roethlisberger, he's been accused of rape yes. way too many times for him to just way never have done anything. You know, I'm not going to wear that jersey. I'm not going to listen to that music. And on top of everything else, not that this really matters, but like I don't consider R. Kelly to be a musical genius. Okay? No, no, not in any way, shape, or form. I mean, he makes catchy like music years ago, but I'm not listening to anything that's dropped right now. I'm not sure what it is, which leads me to believe it's mainly a cultural thing, especially um, I'm guilty of I don't really believe in what he does. I don't like the things that he has potentially. I should say allegedly because he wasn't found guilty, but we all know better. But when the remix to Ignition comes on and is hot and fresh out the kitchen, like I can't help but to nod or tap my foot. And I feel bad doing so. Not as bad as I do listening to Jason Mraz, but it's just like shit. You know what I'm saying? But I do feel good about the fact that there have been a lot of show cancellations and there have been a lot of people like doing what they can, at least outside of the, the justice system, in order to like make it known that we know what you're doing and we don't fuck with that like how do you feel as an individual that was urinated on as a minor about the the justice the social justice that has come towards well, robert kelly well what i think is really interesting about this and to me the thing that jumped out first was actually the role that comedians played and and shining light and truth on these situations so with the cosby mm -hmm. situation a couple of years ago i think it was hannibal burris who made this like asides on stage. And I don't think that was really part of his planned routine. It really did feel like an off the cuff kind of thing where he just kind of went off on a tangent for a minute. And you could tell he was trying to maybe reel it back in about halfway there, but then people were responding. So he went with it. And Dave Chappelle did the same thing on Chappelle's show where he made a skit yes. about R. Kelly peeing on people and he made a song yes. out of it. So yes. comedy was what allowed, oddly, a lot of these truths to see some light. And now we're like, oh, wait. R. Kelly was peeing on minors. Um, and, you know, I, I want to come out, you know, just to go and say I'm very against urinating on minors. It's going to be part of my platform. <laughs> uh, I don't want anybody to think that I'm pro peeing on minors. But it, it is interesting <laughs> that comedy was what allowed the truth to come out here because you had a lot of people. And this is something that, you know, I, I was talking to a reporter the other day and there's a 
currently, you know, they're like you know, technically inside knowledge, you'll probably hear about it in a month or two. There's going to be another prominent entertainer musician who is going to be named and some pretty hairy stuff. And so we were talking, oh, yeah, we were talking and I was talking, now it's one of those things, I can't say who it was and you're probably not going to be surprised. It's just another one bites the dust kind of deal at this point. But we were talking about why nobody spoke out. And I think when you look at, you know, R. Kelly's immediate circle, the managers, the agents, everyone around him, they have a monetary interest in defending that behavior because if you're R. Kelly's booking agent, you know, you don't want him to stop getting shows because then you stop getting checks. Same thing with the managers, same thing with the engineers. These people who are immediately around him and know something is going on have no interest in speaking out because they lose money, you know, if their their cash cow goes away. Uh, same thing probably happened with Bill Cosby. If we're being honest, you know, there's a lot of people around him that were making a lot of money and, you know, you know, the, the, the Cosby show was in syndication. I mean, everybody on that show, you got to remember, everybody on that show who was getting checks from syndication, they stopped getting checks if they speak out against Bill Cosby to say, hey, yeah, we kind we kind of knew this was happening. So I think yeah. the, the sad part about the all these instances is that there's always a monetary incentive on the other side. And it's not bad. And I want to I want to say this. It's not bad people. I don't think these people are, you know, heartless. I don't think there's anything wrong with them i just think they understand that you know if you weren't doing anything since the 80s and 90s and your big chunk of income is coming from syndicated you know checks from these shows you know rerunning uh, you're you're not going to be the first person to be like hey you know what i want to do i want to be poor forever like because that's yes. their reality and and it sucks and i'm sure it's the same thing yeah. with r kelly it, it, the people around him know that as soon as this falls down he stops getting shows those jukebox plays don't they're not as popular i mean He's probably getting some good bar money every time I, you know, I believe I can fly gets played on a jukebox by the Tammies in Oklahoma of the world. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. <laughs> you know, Space Jam's going to stop selling, you know, Michael Jordan, I think he'll be okay. <laughs> Bill Murray, I think he'll be okay. But, you know, the if, if you know, we're in that same situation, ah, you know, it's tough, yeah. man. I think a lot of people just don't want to speak out and it's sad, but. R. Kelly, yeah. he's he's going to bite it just because um, I think we're – I can't believe I'm saying this aloud. I think we're at a point in history now where we're all okay with saying we don't want to pee on minors. And it took, yeah. you know, 20 years. <laughs> you <laughs> it know, took honestly, 20 years. I want to I wanna, – you made a reference earlier about being surrounded by people. Like, If you're around R. Kelly, then I feel like, of course, you're going to be receiving benefits from being around R. Kelly. But this might be a slight tangent that I'm going on, but I feel like it might be easy to manipulate R. Kelly in some way, form or fashion, because I'm not sure if you knew this, but R. Kelly cannot read or do math. Oh, he's a Floyd Mayweather. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware. I missed that. No, seriously. R. Kelly. Um, I didn't learn this until I took a uh, I think it was a psychology course at USC um, and we all had to choose a prominent well individual to do a report on and certain people chose r kelly it was a group project i did we did frederick Douglass, so i feel secure with our decision that we made but they when frederick they got Douglass, up, they who is report, according they, to trump still alive is, by the way frederick Douglass is still alive <laughs> yeah <is that>? <laughs> so, <laughs> in black history but they did r kelly and when they got up they were like you know yeah so r kelly's suffering from illiteracy and so on and so forth i was like wait what excuse me but he cannot apparently read or do mathematics and wendy williams recently hopped up and she 
brought it up on her show and r kelly also revealed like yeah dude i don't know how to read or do math and that threw me off i don't know if it was a um what's the name of that dude uh from uh house of cards the dude who oh who got caught doing something and was just like spacey? well i'm gay have sympathy on me huh what's yeah, that? spacey right Kevin, Kevin Spacey? Spacey, yeah. Spacey. Boom. There we go. Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's it was kind of known somewhat in the community here in Chicago that by a few people that he can't read or write. But to reveal that you can't read or write now when the shit's hitting the fan is kind of like, dude, like, we don't we don't care about that. We, we really don't care about that. Like, it, not being able to read or write doesn't mean you can just walk around pissing on people that's just yeah. kind of how that work i don't know what the correlation is like yeah no it, i don't i know a lot of illiterate people um you know it's tennessee but uh, that's terrible uh but yeah <laughs> fantasia Brino. remember her from american idol when it came out she was of illiterate yeah but yes. you know what fantasia Brino does not also do urinate on people so i think she we're doesn't... yeah yeah like where is the line i don't understand and we brought up bill cosby earlier he was found guilty of that shit like he's he's going to jail yeah that's i didn't expect that to happen either like i was like wow like people are gonna take sympathy on this old this old man because he's blind even though he more than likely did this shit and they were like nah bro like it's over for you like it's a wrap so i didn't expect that to happen but you know there's people that are uh, you know we We've spoken on conspiracy theorists uh, like Kanye and so on and so forth, but there are people who like this only happened because he was about to buy NBC, and you know this happened because you know he he was about to change people's lives and send more black people to college. And I was like, whoa, me, I I, I am pro black enough, but I stop when people are like, oh man, this only happened because I was like, no, it happened because he was found guilty of doing it which means you know i don't have the utmost faith in in the justice system depending on the situation and whatnot but if when it comes to like pissing on people and like actually sexually harassing someone or something like that like if you did that shit i feel like you should be put away for that shit you know what i'm saying oh i i 100 agree i i tell you what's wild about this i listen to true crime podcasts sometimes just to scare myself going to sleep and I was listening to this one. I think it was called My Favorite Murder. It's 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 really funny. It's two women chatting it up about you know murders and whatnot. And there was like this one episode they talked about you know this guy who'd been like you know he's a serial rapist. I think he like he raped like a dozen women, right? And then I, I in my head I was thinking, well, all right, forty eight more, and he's Bill Cosby. But like that's. Yeah. But that's the the level you're talking about. You're like, wow, man, that's crazy. That True Crime podcast, this guy was, I mean, he raped like 12 women. And then you like put into context like, yeah, so if he would have kept going for another 25 years, he could have been like America's father, Bill Cosby. Like those things are nutty to think about, like the the sheer numbers. So I, I think, you know, anybody who's got that conspiracy thing in their head, like 60 people, 60, like I. That's a lot. Yeah, it's dude. It's hard for me to get sixty likes on a Facebook post. Okay, um, <laughs> like that's that takes that's that that's tough, man. That takes effort. So I, yeah. I know anybody who's jumping up to defend a... Bill Cosby, uh, you know, I don't know, man. I'm like, like, don't do that. That makes me question. It, may, yeah. it makes me question company. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everyone has a right to a different opinion and whatnot. But I'm like, eh. well, they're conflating a guy on TV with the actual person. Like, yes. You know, he did accomplish a lot of things and break barriers, but he still raped a lot of people. And I'm hoping this sets a precedent where we 
come to this place where there's not gradients of rape. Like it's not less bad because he, they he, they were friendly and then he kind of drugged them or what. It's like you know I, we have this weird thing in our our minds as a society where it's like it has to be this uh, violent punch in the face in a drag you into an dark alley car garage or something you know? to to really be quote rape. And it's like no, I mean this is the majority of how uh, sexual assault is happening. And that that doesn't make it any any less like it's it's awful. No, yeah, it's yeah. It, it, his 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 format. You know the the, the drugging style. I tell the story. I was hanging out with uh, my buddy Jordan, and we we're this huge crew, and um, we were bar hopping in Nashville one night, and uh, I ended up taking a shot um, that was meant for somebody else. Like you know, there's a girl standing next to me. She didn't want to do the shot, so I ended up taking the shot. And I mean, 30, 45 minutes later, I'm feeling real weird. Right. And, you know, I'm a big guy with 220 pounds and, you know, I hadn't drank enough for me to feel that weird. And um, I remember, you know, we went to the next bar and thankfully my my, uh, my lawyer, Rob, was at the next bar. He looks at me. He's like, well, you don't look so good, dude. And within 10 minutes, I was about to fall on the floor. Um, and I had four drinks, you know, and four drinks and somebody my size and weight, even in a 30 minute span is not going to knock me out. Ended up having to get transported to the ER, did a test, you know, and I had, you know, a, a cocktail mix of, uh, I think it was like barbiturates, like Xanax or what, I don't know, like they gave me like wow. a, a list, but you know, somebody had made a conscious effort to try and drug, I think the girl next to me. Um, and you know, she was being friendly and she didn't want to take a shot. So she gave it to me. I don't know who did it, but you know, I'll tell you, man, like, somebody half my weight taking that shot, there's no telling the kind of damage it would have done because like I was un unconscious in an hour. So, Jeez. you know, it, it's, it's a scary situation. And I think a lot of people look at those situations and say, Oh, how can it happen? Like, yo, I mean, I took the drugs that were meant for somebody else who was probably half my size and I couldn't stand. I mean, like, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't, you know, just accidentally run into my lawyer. Like that was yeah, a weird sure. situation. Yeah. I mean, who would have taken care of me at that point? Cause then I just would have been some weird drunk guy at a bar, you know, like they, they didn't yeah. know that I only had four drinks and, you know, unfortunately that same night, my, my buddy who I was with, he was taken with a woman. So he decided to run off before things really hit the fan. So, you exactly. know, I was, I was solo and, you know, and that's why, you know, it's dangerous to get out there and chase pussy. You know, you gotta be a good wingman the whole way through. If your buddy gets <laughs> drugged, you need to be there. Accurate. Damn. Um, I wanted to um, touch on marijuana. So there was some news uh, for Illinois recently, which I thought was interesting. So uh, it's decriminalized at least in Chicago, possibly Cook County. Okay. As long as you have like under an ounce and it's not broken ounce, up think, and they're yeah. not like trying to hit you with intent to sell, I think like exactly. it's like whatever, they're not going to bother with you. But, you know, Illinois has been kind of on the cusp of legalizing it, but we have a lot of rural area and people are unsure, even though we can use the tax revenue. But basically this article is saying, think about it because all these law enforcement dogs are going to lose their jobs guys no they are these drug sniffing dogs if they can't go around trying to smell weed or they're going to be Fuck unemployed dogs, they're going to be on welfare they're now dogs why do dogs need to have a 9 to 5 i don't understand so the the part 2 of this really quick and then you guys can can go on this was i read this article on may 6th okay 2 days later they take it the next step they're like hey these dogs aren't just going to be unemployed we may just have to kill all of them we might have to euthanize them because what are we gonna do? I don't know. They can't. They can't sniff for drugs anymore. They're done. Throw yeah. throw them in a well or something. First of all, that's your choice to murder them. They can be put up for rescue just like any other animal. I mean, if you want to give me a trained 
I don't know if they would like me if I'm just I'm, because those dogs are trained to like take people down. What if someone were to put them in a rescue puppy place and just leave a sheet with all of the command words and whatnot? I would happily accept and bring one into my home so that I could use it against my enemies. But I feel like <laughs> I feel like dogs don't really need a nine to five. If that's the case, you know, that it was your fault for training people to training dogs to sniff out marijuana in the first place that i don't feel like it was necessary i don't know i'm not an avid marijuana smoker so you know i'm just happy that uh the decriminalization is actually getting into effect because we've seen enough to see that it's it's kind of sort of bullshit a little bit like you know there are entrepreneurs out here like making strains and selling these things opening up dispensaries and whatnot and there's people still locked up a little bit for non-violent crimes related to marijuana so i'm just happy to see the transition taking place yeah i'll say this about marijuana um the thing that i encourage anybody to do when you look at when marijuana is up for legalization decriminalization whatever level it is in your state city whatever's happening what you find is that you know obviously in american politics we are steeped in money and lobbyists Anytime marijuana comes up for legalization, you have to look at the people who are vehemently against legalizing marijuana. Mm -hmm. And it's always the strangest people with the strangest reasons. But when you find out who's funding them, uh, it's lobbyists. Lobbyists are getting a lot of money from Anheuser-Busch and the larger beer companies, um, your, your alcohol distributors. They're getting a lot of money because the alcohol business knows that they don't want the competition and that's really what's been driving this and i know that you know it doesn't make me sound like a conspiracy theorist because this this is just the reality of it they yes. shrouded in family values they they often hide behind christian groups who say oh we're trying to keep our community safe well if you really are trying to keep your community safe what what's going to happen in, in what we're seeing in colorado and in california is that you know alcohol sales dip some not a huge amount but you know, and I'll say this is somebody who intermittently smokes weed. Uh, I don't do both nice. at the same time. You know, and 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 the reason is because it doesn't feel good to do both. I mean, we call it getting crossfaded. You don't want to catch a heavy alcohol buzz and then go and, and smoke. It's a weird feeling. A lot of people don't enjoy it. And so typically, you know, if I'm going to do it, I just get my oil and sit and play at home and get some Call of Duty on. But that's bad for alcohol companies. And, and I understand why they, you know, it's, it's a money business, but you know, when it comes to like euthanizing police dogs, like that is the hollowest, also saddest, most pathetic threat. You know, you're looking there and you're like, well, you know, we're going to have to do now. Like, oh, because you didn't train the dogs to sniff out Coke and meth and, and MDMA. Right. Is that the problem? Are the other drugs going to mysteriously go away? No, you're just saying right. these things, these empty platitudes because you're afraid and, and, you know, there's a seizure revenue that happens and I'm sure that, you know, you're familiar with this, but when, when cops quote unquote smell marijuana in the vehicle, um, police departments are allowed to seize asset forfeiture is a real thing. They're allowed to seize your assets. So they got, you, they got your weed, sure, but they're taking your car and they're keeping it. That's For what sure. they're really upset about. It's the asset forfeiture money that these police departments stand to lose. It's not yeah. about weed. They want your house, exactly. your car. I mean, I, I you know, I, I, res- I have enormous respect for, you know, a lot of my friends who are police officers, but I'll be the first to say that a lot of what they do, kind of bullshit. <laughs> Factual. Yeah, that's that's really that's really. I'm gonna go on a tangent because you mentioned Call of Duty. Do you play on PS4 or Xbox One? Like which one? I'm a PS4 have? PS4 guy, man. Yeah. I need I need. I'll, I'll get your 
your PSN name once this is done. Yeah. But <laughs> like, I just wanted to go on that. But yes, I do super duper agree with that. Um, I was also crossfaded uh, for Reggie's birthday on May fifth. So if people can, <laughs> so if people can like mention him on Twitter or wherever else and wish him a happy belated birthday, that would be uh, really, really. You know, cool. we've we've talked about the law enforcement a lot in this podcast. A lot, and- yes. You know, we understand that they are extorting us on behalf of the state and the county and whatever, and it's fucking unfortunate. And yeah, yeah, we've had exactly. our run-ins, but you know, it, yeah, I, I feel like there's a new low. It's like, hey, we're gonna have to kill these dogs. I'm like, if, you're if holding dogs uh, hostage, put dude. Put people away for petty crimes, yeah. petty drug crimes. Yeah, it's 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 okay. Let me see. I'm I'm checking. Uh, I wanted to ask. This is completely off the radar of anything that we've spoken about so far but i don't know if you've seen infinity war this (laughs) this, you have to understand like this interview uh well not necessarily interview but having you as a guest like we didn't expect it to happen so some of the topics we've had down were from like way in advance and we felt like infinity war was something we had to jump on immediately uh but i feel like it's okay to ask you if you've seen the movie right you've seen it I have not seen Infinity War, and I think the last movie I saw in theaters was the last Star Wars film, and the, probably the next movie I'll see in theaters is going to be Solo. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me, I, I just don't go and see a lot of movies. Um, okay. I typically, okay. I, t- I just wait until they're on like Amazon or something. Um, yeah, it's nice. uh, the, the one movie theater I say I'll go to uh, is here in Nashville. It's called the Bell Court. And the reason I go to that one is they serve mixed drinks. Um, But they also, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, you know, Uh, and they're affordably priced too. You know, the mixed drinks they're serving are on par with what you pay for a soda at any other, the, uh, you know, box theater. So I I typically don't go see a lot of films just because I don't, you know, I'm I'm not interested in paying $8 for a Coca-Cola and $32 for a popcorn. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a $60 experience and there's not I, I like look I, I like hanging out with my fiance don't get me wrong but that's, that's real cool for 60, for 60 bucks you know I'm I'm going to go catch a wicked buzz somewhere and watch a Preds game or you know catch the Eastern Conference finals or whatever's happening uh you know I'm going to be hard prep plus I'm going to bet on a game or something I I can't bet on a movie that's my biggest problem I think you know <laughs> I mean, you get creative with it but yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I i hear everybody talking about it um i'm not like anti-infinity wars or anti you know comic book based movies I'm, i just don't see anything I, I wish i i wish i could more often but uh i think it's just related it's it's tough to explain the geography of east nashville we don't have a movie theater on our side of the river so for me to to, to endeavor to want to go to a movie theater i have to either go the south side of town or the west side of town and both involve mm-hmm. me going through this mess of tourist traffic that just is Nashville downtown and so it's also the 45 minute to and from travel time and for Gross. in most cases you know like some, something really interesting has got to be happening on the west side of town for me to leave my little island in East Nashville uh, otherwise yeah, no. hard pass I uh, I only go like on the cheap day in the middle of the day one of the things i hate the most about the movies besides everything being expensive is uh the people yeah (laughs) uh, i had to go when i saw infinity war the theater was full and there were people just like eating loud and clapping and talking there was a lady in my row and she was like i don't even give a fuck what's happening right now like i want to go to sleep because i saw like a 12 30 a.m show 
Yeah. It's like, why are you here? Yeah, she got dragged to it. It's okay. Um, but th- this brings up something interesting. So I screenshotted a tweet from a while ago, and I posted on Facebook to rile everybody up. This guy uh, said, bringing supermarket snacks to a movie theater will never not be desperate and tacky. I'm happy that you mentioned that because I am that person. I bring my snacks in. They don't bag check. They don't bag check. I just walk in. You better not. No, nah, don't, don't check my bag. Don't but touch me. I come in with snacks from Walgreens, and I eat. And you can hear me un- opening the plastic. I'm just in the back like, hey, whatever. So know. so do you have you brought your own food to the movies back when you would go more? Would you sneak in some Nashville hot chicken and get to town? Oh, you guys, you know, you, I'm sorry. I did. Go ahead. Yeah. No, you know, I was like blatant about what I would do, too. Like I would go to like Kroger and get like a deli sub sandwich, you know, and like, you know, just have it in the front of my hoodie or something. You know, I know they're going to pat me down there, you know, whatever they're, they're I, but yeah, I, I'm going to go to the movie theater. I'm going to bring a sandwich. I'm going to have a bag of chips. You know, I used to have a little hip flask that I would bring in, you know. Um, you know, so I, the one thing I would buy was a drink. And then, you know, I would I would empty, you know, five or six shots into the drink. Um, mm-hmm. That, to me, is a fun way to see a movie, depending upon the movie. Like, you don't know fun until you're sitting there watching Star Wars with 3D goggles on, catching a good buzz. Those little airport bottles, you know, you can bring those into the movie theater. I got, go, I got life hacks galore for you guys. Uh, those little <laughs> airport bottles, man, they're fantastic. You know, you bring five or six of those in to watch Star Wars, you are going to have a fun time. Guaranteed. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, okay. So I have two things that I want to ask you about. And then I'm thinking like once we go over those things. You can use uh, the time to, or to you know, push your agenda, let it be known what you stand for, like what it is you're trying to do and so on and so forth. These things I'm going to ask have nothing to do with that. So I want to get it out of the way before. <laughs> but the sure. first thing I want to ask is um, we spoke about certain musicians and how when they're revealed as uh, normal people, sometimes we're disappointed in them. Sometimes we're like, OK, I stand behind what they're doing. Uh, DJ Khaled recently revealed that he does not perform cunnilingus on his wife. But he respects it, or he expects it in return. He expects fellatio. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm not down with that, man. That's, I mean, but I'm not married, and I'm not in their marriage, so I can't tell him where to put his mouth. But that seems... I would say sexually, your boundaries are your boundaries, but it doesn't come off... To me, it just comes off as like a chauvinistic thing. It is a chauvinistic thing. And it's it's very rude as well, because I'm sure his wife has a lot to to wade through in order to get to his phallus. I don't know what his anatomy is like. <laughs> I'm wow. not sure what his anatomy is like, but I can only uh, assume that some sort of heavy lifting is involved. And that's just a joke. That's just a joke. It's okay. I got a gut as well. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in uh, DJ Gallery right now. I have, I've just, this is what I got to say. I can't trust a man unless I know that you like having your face sat on. Okay. Like that to me (laughs) is just, you know, that's reality. You know, like I want you to know, I want to have a conversation with you. Like, hey, what's up, man? What kind of beer do you drink? You know, you know, what kind of sports you into? I got to know that. By the way, last question. Like you like getting your face set on, right? You do. Oh, good. All right, now we can be friends. But if you yeah. say, if I'm, you look at me like I'm crazy, like oh no, I'm gonna never have a great looking ass right in my face. So I would never do that. Like, well, you can fucking get out of here. Yeah, you know? legit. Like, you know, I think we might be friends after this like yeah. episode. That's pretty cool. Um, also, the last thing, and this is just like a side tangent. Uh, have you been to Chicago before? 
Oh yeah, many times. Many times. You've had like uh, you know, Harold's and like Miles Sauce and all that good stuff when you've come here, right? Um, you know, I, I my stepmother's family is from Chicago. So when I'm in Chicago or whenever I was there, you know, a lot of it was just hanging out with old Korean people, if I'm being dead honest. Um yeah. Or, you know, like my uncle or something. So I don't – I've been out to venues, you know, um, yeah. for shows. So I've been to like the mid uh, – I guess it, is it still called the mid? Um, yeah, I think – You know, so. I, I, I go out to – I used to go to shitty raves. And so, you know, that's where I would go. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Next time you come up, let us know. We're going to take you around to the best local spots and whatnot. But I wanted to ask about Nashville chicken. Like I, I haven't had that much of it, and I'm trying to figure out what that's about. It's mostly fried with like – a dry rub on top of that is that how they do it is it tossed in the rub or because i know it's hot but is it like a mostly a seasoning thing but so let me tell you i'll wax you a tale of about gentrification um so the story of nashville hot chicken um is that you know it was extremely common in nashville's poor black communities for a long time um, you know, Prince's and Bolton's, and it was kind of known, and the story behind it was, I think it was Prince's where it started, where uh, it was just a fried chicken joint, and then one night his wife finds out she he, uh, he was cheating on her, so she tries to basically poison him with super hot chicken. Like, she throws all the, every single pepper and everything she can on this dry rub, and turns out he loves it. So, hot chicken is born. Um, now, when it comes to what this this hot chicken is, um, you know, being a, a fried chicken purist and somebody who prepares hot chicken for myself because I love fried chicken, uh, you know, you can you try and make it so hot it's unbearable. That's the goal. So you're gonna have crushed red pepper. I mean, I grow peppers in my yard. You know, I've got a couple growing right now. So you know, you'll you'll dry them, you'll crush them up, and then the goal is, you know, basically fried chicken. You get um, most of it, you know, basically done. Then you put it in a, a dry rub for a moment, you know, rub it around, and then I put it in the the oven to bake finish. So just to oh. the rub kind of yeah, the rub just kind of finishes better that way. It helps with the crisp crispness. Um, sometimes I'll put it under the low broiler for a second just to make sure that like the rub is you know kind of sat on it for a minute. Like you can't just like roll in the rub and then give it to somebody like you have to give the rub a minute to get in with the chicken skin and do its thing with the breading and all that oh, so okay yeah it, it, it's a process but when you do it right um i lean towards uh, either bolton's or prince's um prince's is the one that i think is like low-key the best uh everybody who says hattie b's uh is white um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, and so you go to, uh, you go to Bolton's and Bolton's or Prince's, you know, they, they kind of have the same aesthetic where they're like cinder block buildings, you know, Bolton's is Bolton's chicken and fish. They do hot fish too. Um, but you know, it's like they serve it on like on a piece of parchment paper with a, a pickle slices and a piece of white bread. I mean, it is, yes. it is poor food. Yeah, and yeah. that's the way to me, it's better. Like I don't want fancy hot chicken. I want chicken, you know, hot chicken served on parchment paper. You know, I have to like carry it awkwardly, you know, and I want to be of the people. But, you know, when it's become a tourist attraction now, yes, you go to Hattie sure. B's and shout out to Devin and Jay, my white friends from Woodbury, who always go to Hattie B's when they're in town. They're like, you want to go to Hattie B's? I'm like, no, no, I don't want to sell my soul. Thanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, the, the real ones, if you're in Nashville and you want to do it right, you either go to Bolton's or Prince's. 
Okay. Uh, Bolton's. I think Bolton's chicken and fish on. Uh, I think it's Main Street. It could be where Main Street meets Gallatin. Uh, but that's the one, and it's a little blue cinder block building with like hand painted letters. Like nice. it's like the old adage. Um, you know, my uncle Marty used to say it, which was, "If you want fried chicken in the South, it's great. You don't go to the fancy looking restaurant. You just look for a trailer with a hand painted sign on the side of the road that says chicken and make sure chicken is misspelled." That's the place where you get fried chicken. Exactly. Uh, and you know what? If you come up here, we'll show you around. You're either going to go to Harold's or you're going to go to Uncle Remus. Um, you more than likely will need us with you in order to go to the areas uh, where the good ones are. But it's an adventure that I'm actually looking forward to should you find yourself back up here again. Yeah. So uh, you're saying I shouldn't wear the uh, – shouldn't shouldn't rock the chain in these neighborhoods and be unwise? You know, I, you know uh, just I Just don't be like, there in general on yeah, your own. Nah, it's, yeah, it's just like – well, you know what? Honestly, nobody would more than likely bother you because they would assume you're a police officer probably. But the thing is, like, you'll be okay. As soon as you're – it's like once you're inside the walls of the place, everything is okay. Yeah. You just get some weird – I'm going to show up wearing some new balances, some dad jeans. People are going to look at me like, you must be the informant. That's ah, me. Yeah, thanks. He's like me. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, one more question is what's the worst part of the chicken for you? <laughs> Worst part of a chicken. Which which part um, do you like the least? You know, when I'm doing chicken, I I rarely go after a chicken thigh. You know, I'm a Thank wings you. guy. Thank I you. love chicken wings. Thank you. Um, he, I'm sorry. I mean to cut you off, but we've had this debate for almost two years. Every now and then, he judges me because I'm not a thigh guy. So continue. Go ahead. Expound. Yeah, it's just like you know the the chicken breast serves its purpose. You know, I, I usually when I'm cooking, I get a whole bird, you know, and then bake it or whatever. Um, you know, or I'm just gonna do wings and I'll get a ton of wings and and uh, I I'm I, I grill almost probably four times a week. Um, especially in the summertime. And so I mean, I like making grilled wings that are hot. Uh, you know, but I, I just can't do anything with these chicken thighs. I don't know. They're just too fatty. They're dark. You have to grill them forever. They don't even, they don't taste great. Um, you know, it, everything's, everything's got its ups and downs and chickens is, you know, it's the same way. You know, you got the good chicken yeah. breast, you got, you got chicken wings. There's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of positives coming out of yard. You know bird. what? I'm just going to let there you are know. There's some negatives. You, you would have my vote. To, to be was, fair yeah. to me, this isn't quite how it was posed initially. He came out of the blue saying that he doesn't really eat chicken thighs, and I was just very surprised by that. I would say there's no bad part of the chicken. Of course, nobody's first going for the like. I mean, there's there's a small minority of people that are I'm going for the thigh first. If you have all the chicken parts laid out, beautiful, glistening from the grease and glistening from this. the sun, nobody's like, oh, let me get that thigh before you, everybody He's else trying to on. save himself. Don't listen. No, it's true. It's true. You know who <laughs> likes chicken thighs? People who urinate on children. <laughs> Just saying. You know what? Okay, we're we're getting we're getting close. To... So, um, yeah, you could take some time now. Uh, just kind of like take you know five minutes or something. Expound on your platform. Yes, say, let us know. You know uh, what you'd like to bring to the your constituents and all that good stuff. Yes, plug yourself. Go for it. So I have a visionary view of what America is going to be, and I think it's antithetical to what a lot of politicians say, and I think it's because America's place in the world's changing. I don't think we're going to be this lone superpower that we've been for you know the past 25 years since the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, I don't think most Americans have even heard of China's Belt and Road Initiative. It's the largest infrastructure spending project in the history of humanity. China's doing it right now to build out 
their trade routes to Southeast Asia to build up in Africa. So they have their own farmland. You know, we're, we're looking at a, a new, in my opinion, two world, two nation superpower kind of thing. It's going to be the United States and China moving forward. Um, and I want the United States to be kind of what we were before World War One. I. I would like us to be a great neutral that's an economic power, that's an industrial power, that doesn't needlessly get involved in military skirmishes around the world. Because you, know, you look at the real numbers, since World War II, we've had some small wars, tiny, but nothing... Nothing in the scope of what we saw before. So I, I just think that America's got to understand that we're going to change. And in order for us to be what we're going to be moving forward in 50 to 100 years from now, we have to kind of like lay that roadmap. Uh, one of the things that I'd love to see us do, which is climate change mitigation, involves really building out the nuclear power infrastructure in the United States. Uh, you know, we have Oak Ridge Na National Lab here in, in Tennessee. Uh, there's Idaho National Labs up in, obviously, Idaho, where, you know, we have brilliant nuclear engineers who've figured out ways to make zero carbon power that always works. And it's not to say that I'm anti-wind or anti-solar, but, you know, France right now gets 90% of their energy from nuclear power. They have the cleanest air in the world. They export energy. Um, and I, I think, you know, as somebody who, you know, spent a lot of time studying nuclear physics, you know, I'm partial, but I think people are needlessly scared of nuclear technology. When you look at um, what it can do to transform America, uh, you could argue, obviously, that, you know, Saudi Arabia, places in the Middle East, they're energy exporters, they export oil. The United States, if we choose to, you know, we have companies like New Scale and Corvallis, Oregon, that are developing these things called molten salt reactors or small modular reactors. And, and they're nuclear reactors that um, are about the size of a house. You know, they're not the, the super things that you're used to seeing, like the AP 1000s made by White Westinghouse or the huge cooling columns that we were used to thinking about when we think about nuclear power. The, the, the next generation of nuclear power is going to be smaller. It's going to be more affordable. Um, and, and that's going to, in my opinion, that's going to be the thing that helps us mitigate climate change, which I think is the largest problem for humanity. But I think the other thing that it's going to allow us to do is export that technology to emerging third world countries. And I know a lot of people don't think about this, but there are places in Nicaragua, in El Salvador, and in South America where they don't have regular power access 24 hours a day. I have two uh, full-time employees uh, in, in Bangladesh, in Dhaka, and they don't have power 24-7. If we were manufacturing these things and sending them around the world, one, we're making money. Two, it allows them to do things like them to develop their economies or desalinate salt water so they have access to fresh drinking water. I think that what we can be as an exporter of technology and engineering and, and big ideas, because I don't think we're ever going to be back in the place where America was the manufacturer of light goods. Those jobs have been taken permanently by Southeast Asia and emerging economies, but also moving forward, those jobs will be taken by robots. Like at some at some level, you're going to have automated uh, automated systems, you know, AI, you know, super. I mean, like the kind of machinery we're developing right now is insane. I want America to understand that we don't have to be what we are. Uh, I, I want my kids to grow up in a nation that isn't known for starting wars. Just yeah, I don't want whenever because one, it sucks. Two, it makes the world hate us. And then three, like my friends, like my buddy Clint, he's permanently disabled. He has nightmares constantly. When you send people to war, there's some real negatives. Like people don't come back the same. You know, my buddy Ben committed suicide. Uh, my, my, my cousin committed suicide. Uh, these are veterans who 
didn't get the care they needed. Um, you know, so war is bad. I mean, I don't want to say that as a broad term, but that's yeah. what we're known for around the globe. Like we are known as like this giant warring nation. We spend $700 billion a year on defense, which isn't to say I don't think we should defend our sovereignty. Of course we should. We should have a military. I mean, most countries do, but they don't spend what we spend. And, you know, we've done it to protect oil assets in the Middle East. I mean, I think this is pretty well established. We know why we've done it. We know why we have the assets where we have them in and around the Middle East. And so if we look at it and we say, all right, if we were energy independent and, and we said we don't have to be focused on this, we don't have to, you know, live our lives around the logistics of oil, um, could could we change? And I think we can. And it's going to take somebody who looks at this huge shift that's going to happen because I, I don't think most people are recognizant of this is not just like this thing that I think is going to happen. It will happen. Oil is a finite resource. It will run out eventually no matter what. We don't know when, but I'd rather be the guy who said, hey, we found an alternative before we needed to. Coal's the same way. You know, coal's finite. Obviously, there's a lot more of it, but what's the loss? You know, what's the loss in trying to transform the economy to say, we're not going to, we're going to focus on education and we're going to focus on clean energy and we're going to focus on infrastructure in the United States and taking care of ourselves. Like what, what do we stand to lose? And, and that's the thing that I haven't been able to take away from any Republican. Like, what are you afraid of? Like what, if I'm wrong, what happens? Uh, we have cleaner air and cleaner water because, because nuclear reactors don't emit carbon. So I, I, we lost because we have a, a nice sunshiny day. Like what's the loss? Like that's the big question. You know, when you look at a candidate like me who has no experience in terms of, uh, um, just typical experience, I'm not an attorney, you know, I don't have the, the, the political experience, but what I do have is a knowledge of history and the willingness to admit that what we're doing doesn't really work. I'm not in anybody's pockets. There's no special interest groups around me. And I'm just saying, Hey, I want your kids to have a great education for universal single payer healthcare. I'm looking at universal basic income. And I'm also saying, how do we make America what we're going to be in 20 to 25 years? Because the way governments work and the way nations work, you can't just like put something in motion today and have it work in two years. Yeah work on four and six year political cycles. We have to be saying, all right, 25 years from now, when my, you know, when my kid, I don't even have kids right now, but when, when my kids are entering the workforce, which is a long plan, but it's really not because they're the next generation. When my kids are entering the workforce, what is the United States going to be? Are we going to be this militaristic, you know, go get them oil nation? Or are we going to be the nation that thought ahead, realized that what we're doing wasn't sustainable? Nobody liked us. And, and decided to, to change and become something better. And I, I, I think, fortunately, that we're at a time in history in the United States where there are a lot more people like me who are tired of war, who understand climate change is a real thing, who are educated about these issues. And they say, oh, this, this actually makes a lot more sense. Like, this is who we should be. I don't want to be what my parents' America was. And if I'm being dead honest, I think my parents and my grandparents did a terrible job managing our country. But that's not, you know, that's not for them to make decisions anymore. The baby boomers are all going to die off. And when they do, all yep. their bad decisions go with them. Yeah, exactly. I feel that. I like that. And I, I can stand behind that. It makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I really like where you're coming from. I, I liked everything you said in this podcast. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for both of us, but, um, you know, I'm rooting for you. I hope you do well. Uh, I could talk to you for twice as much time, but, you know, we don't want to take up our whole day. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd also say I'm, I'm a big hockey fan. I've been meaning to check out a Predators game. My condolences. Uh, so maybe we'll run into you and I'll bring Delancey. He doesn't like hockey, but he might once he sees uh, P.K. Subban, right? It, it's just difficult for me to keep track of where the puck is, but I, I will enjoy myself. Yeah, you know, 
the one thing I'll say about hockey that I actually kind of miss is they used to have this like glowing puck like the, on television on where Fox. you could actually. I liked that a lot. I don't know why they ever got rid of it. I think because of HD television. I mean, it was really hard back with standard definition CRT TVs. I think now they just feel like it's not as necessary with giant TVs and 4K and all that. But I feel you. I I, I loved that. I mean, I, I remember thinking like the other day, like, what happened to that? That was actually really useful because there's been times like in last night's hockey game, I had no idea where the puck was. Yeah, You know, exactly. I was just like hoping I knew. And, and that's that's the only downside to like televised hockey is that at, at a game, you know, I, I go to a Preds game. I can follow the puck no problem. I don't know what it is about TV, you know, or no. it's, it's just tough to follow. It is. It's difficult. I'm blind enough as is. I, I just get a headache trying to do it. But it's fun. I like the spirit of it. You know what I'm saying? So it's um, I'm, I'm happy you chose to be on. Uh, you know, it's been it's been great talking to you. I'm going to add you on PS4 like I, like I mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I look forward to uh, keeping tabs on what's going on and how things go for you. Yeah, I, I hope it goes well for me, too. So we'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know what happens. For sure. All right. Take it easy, man. Appreciate you guys. All right. Uh, that was our first remote guest. How do you think that went? That went good, right? Scoop-de-poop. Scoop-de-poop. <laughs> this has been another episode of Spit Sessions. Thanks for checking in. Uh, we'll catch you guys later. whoop dee scoop whoop dee scoop whoop dee scoop whoop dee scoop poop